Hello, and welcome to People of Note on Classic 102.7. It's good to have your company, as it is every Sunday at this time. In this program, we talk to someone who is a person of note and listen to music of their choice. And my guest in tonight's program is Rod Kruger, who is something of an expert on the history of gold mining in South Africa. But he's had a varied career, and we're going to hear all about that as the program goes on. Welcome, Rod. Thank you, Richard. It's very, very nice to be on my uh, favorite radio station. And it's here. good to have you here. Uh-huh. Now, uh, you, I think your, your speciality is about gold mining in general, or gold, the history of gold in South Africa. Gold in South Africa, indeed. Gold, where the gold came from, how they found the gold, and who got the gold. Well, and it's an amazing story because South Africa's early development was really based on the success of the gold mining industry. Indeed it was. The whole of Johannesburg, of course, would not exist today had it not been for the discovery of the Evert-Fordisrand goldfields. Yeah, because it was just farming territory, I guess, up to that time. It was empty land. There was just grass and grass. They tell me there wasn't even a tree. But there was the rond, the Witwatersrand. The Witwatersrand, certainly is. Witwatersrand is very, very old and goes back into prehistory. Um, and forms part of the chain, a beautiful golden chain that tells the story of the of how the gold came to be. And how did you come to be interested in this history of gold mining or gold? Ah, um, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. Um, as a young man, I've always been interested in photography from the age of nine. Uh, when we were um, young men of 16, my friend and I went exploring um, the various old mine shafts in our area. We had no idea what we were looking at. But as usual, I dragged my camera along and I took photographs down in what turned out later to be the Steuben Confidence Reef Mine. And then 40 years later, when I eventually found the uh, negatives to these, I couldn't remember which way around they were oriented. And that really worried me. So I went on a tour with the Rudiput Museum ladies. They were organizing tours to the Confidence Reef. And I could find out which way around my pictures were organized. But um, what really worried me was that a lot of what was being told about these mines was uh, certainly folklore or, or, or wrong, basically just not correct, and I couldn't handle it. So I started to study this thing and found myself sucked into the system. Now, I take the tours to the Confidence Reef Mine. Um, I've lectured for UJ. I've lectured at Wits University and a few others, and I just find it a fascinating and, and wonderful story to pass on to people. Well, that's part of what we're going to hear in our program tonight, this history of gold mining in South Africa. And to tell it is Rod Kruger, who's my guest on People of Note. And his first choice of music is The Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini by Sergei Rachmaninoff. Cecile Ousset is the pianist and the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Sir Simon Rattle. That was The Rhapsody on a Theme of Paganini, or part of it, by Sergei Rachmaninoff. The City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra was conducted by Sir Simon Rattle, and the soloist was Cecile Ousset. Rod, you uh, came to the story of gold, but you've had other careers in your life as well. You obviously uh, haven't only done this because you came to it rather late in life. I did, um, Richard. Um, when I left school, like many young people, I had no idea what to do with my life. So I joined South African Airways as an apprentice, and I served 10 years with them until I became a senior aircraft technician, um, by which time I'd had enough of, of large passenger airplanes. Um, and I was invited, at that time I was flying light aircraft for my own pleasure, and I was invited by the Methodist Church to join their mission at Manguzi in northern KwaZulu uh, to fly for them because um, they had no roads worth speaking of at the time. When it rained they had no roads at all, 
and I spent three and a half wonderful years uh, flying in the bush, um, delivering various bodies to various hospitals, bringing in executives, flying goods, um, something really, really worthwhile to do. Based in northern Natal? Based in northern Natal. But flying into Mozambique? Uh, No, no. At the time, we were at war with Mozambique. Oh, um, so you couldn't go there. It was all around northern Italy. Certainly Natal. not. I would have had my, my tail shot off. <laughs> but um, all around there, yes, uh, there's many, many stories to tell. I'm, I'm actually writing a book on that one. But uh, after a couple of years, um, my son was starting to need to go to school, uh, and we were forced to leave. But I was very, very sad uh, to leave Manguzi and, uh, and the life that we had there. And then you came back to Johannesburg. Then I came back to Johannesburg, and I had no job. I was being supported by my wife at the time. She was a... Uh, librarian at Wits University, um, I had to find something to do with myself, and I fancied to work in, well, with cameras always, so I fancied to go into television, which was just starting, really, in South Africa at that time. But just tell us how you got interested in photography to start with. That's uh, something that goes way back into my history. I was nine years old when I picked up my mother's camera and just became fascinated by it. An old brownie box camera. It, was, it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> even, no. It was one of those ones that you click open and fold out, had a little bellows in the front, look down into a little viewfinder, and uh, usually cut the person's head off when you were taking their pictures. But um, uh, it, it got me to the point where I wanted to do my own developing, my own printing, and I got into the whole photography thing in a, in a big way. And and that's how you came to take these pictures of gold mines. Well, I'm quite interested, were you down the gold mines when you took photographs? Oh, certainly, yes. Um, so it was flash photography, I guess. Well, n- not really. Um, we borrowed from an institute, uh, which I won't name, um, some flash powder, some magnesium powder, and we used that in front of a reflector. Um, we couldn't afford flash bulbs at that time. So the photographs that I have, um, I would love to sh- send you a copy sometime, are very soft and, and, and quite wonderful to see. So you had one of those, like those old-style photographers where it sort of went poof. and, uh, kind, and Kind of, and kind of like that, Richard, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I can promise you that there's no methane down that mine because I'm still here to talk to you. <laughs> That's just as well. Uh, because obviously these photographs, that and you kept these, they were not for anyone else, just for your own interest. No, they were just for my own interest. Although since then I have sent copies over to places like the Witz William, William Cullen Library um, for their own historical re- records. Later you say you, you wanted to check whether they were the right way round. So you went down the mines and and then you got interested in the history of the mines themselves. Yes, the history is so fascinating that I couldn't help it. It, it was like living... You see, I live in Strubens Valley, so I kind of got hooked. Oh, so this name Strubens, let's just listen to your next piece of music, and then we can find out about this name Strubens, or Struben. And your next choice is by Johann Strauss, by the beautiful Blue Danube. Let's just work out how to do this. Stop. Stop. Reset. Okay, now I've worked it out. If you find any of my music too... No, 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 no. Thank God, you're welcome to change. That was The Beautiful Blue Danube by Johann Strauss, played by the National Symphony Orchestra under my direction. I just want to remind you about those New Year concerts coming up on the 19th and 20th of January. That's this coming Saturday and Sunday at the Linda Auditorium, 4.30 on Saturday, 3 o'clock on Sunday, Viennese New Year Concerts, booking at CompuTicket. So don't miss those. The music is the choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note. He has written his own history or 
made up his own history about gold in general in South Africa, and we were talking about Struben, which is a very interesting coincidence because uh, when I was a student at UCT, the house which held the College of Music was actually called Strubenheim or Strubenholm, yes. And that's, and that's a connection with the same Struben. That is absolutely correct. That was Harry Struben's house. And that, of course, they built after they made their money. Um, their family originated from Germany and uh, came through Holland. His grandfather was a sea captain, and uh, he came out um, visiting one of the English ports, met and married um, his wife there, and uh, sadly she contracted TB. So they uh, suggested that they come out to South Africa to a warm climate. Um, their first child, Harry, was actually born on, uh, on a barge in Holland, so he was a real Dutchman. And uh, their second son, Fred, uh, 11 years later, uh, born here in Natal. And the connection with Cape Town was that once they'd finished making money up here on the gold mines, they then retired to Cape Town? Or what? Well, to retire at the ages of 48 and 36, I think, is a marvelous thing to do. Um, certainly, <laughs> most of us would love to do that. Um, um, Harry Struben started a business in Durban, transporting goods by Oxwagon up to the new capital of Pretoria in the then Transvaal Republic. Um, this was uh, pre-train. Trains were not allowed into the republics by uh, political uh, problems. So um, Harry made a fair amount of money in the transport business. Um, his brother Fred, on the other hand, um, being a young man, was looking around for something to do. And they met a farmer on the farm Wilkesbreit who thought that there might be something payable there. Now, the farmer there, uh, Lo Geldenhuis, his name is well known in Johannesburg, uh, Lowe went up to the Eastern Transvaal to see what was happening there. Gold had been discovered in places like Pilgrim's Rest and so on. And uh, he wanted to know if there was anything in his hills that might be payable. And he could only find um, anyone who knew something about gold mining or gold prospecting um, in the Struben brothers. Now, they had been around the country with an English prospector, and they had learned by osmosis a fair amount of prospecting. The... Um, man that they were with unfortunately contracted fever and died up in the eastern Transvaal somewhere, so the knowledge was left with the two Struben brothers. Fred Struben came over to the Witwatersrand um, Ridge in about 1884, and he prospected there for 17 months with a handful of his faithful Zulu followers. Um, they found traces of gold in all the little streams from uh, Ranfontein right through to Germiston. Uh, they were finding traces of gold. We've tried hard, um, myself and friends with a pan, and we find absolutely nothing, but we haven't given up yet, Richard. Well, what I want to know, and we'll hear this after the, the next piece of music, is why there was all this gold up in the Transvaal. <laughs> but let's listen to the Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 2 by Franz Liszt first. This is Denis Matsuev playing. That was Denis Matsuev playing the Hungarian Rhapsody Number no. 2 by Franz Liszt, the choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note. Rod, we know that there's uh, a history of gold in Africa because in West Africa there were whole kingdoms built on gold and Monomatapa or whoever it was in Zimbabwe and, and there was trading with gold from the Zimbabwe ruins, I think. Um, yes, um, the Egyptians certainly imported gold uh, from the west coast of Africa. And there are beautiful examples of it to be seen on the West Coast and in Egypt itself. Um, surprisingly, some of the little statuettes in Egypt turned out to have copper mined in South Africa. So there's a mystery for somebody, uh, if they ever care to pursue it. 
But our own gold now comes from a, a fault. Yeah, I like to tell people it's not my fault. But it is called the Ritfontein Fault, and it lies deep under Johannesburg. It's a fault in the tectonic plates, um, and from which there is vast quantities of metals, minerals coming up. Now, this met the uh, groundwater, the cold water, and I'm talking millions of years ago here, uh, which cracked the rocks and brought up this groundwater to the surface. There are lots and lots of theories on it, and I will have the geologists all over my neck when I finish this program, but I'm going to give you my version of it. And that is the um, groundwater came up all along the what is now the south part of the Vidvardeshond Ridge in hot springs, bringing with it the gold, silver, platinum, uranium that had been locked up in the ground before. Um, this edge of uh, this um, system was probably along what is now um, the uh, Duenfontein uh, to, to Rudipurt line um, in a rough semicircle. They, they be it became what is known as the, as the Golden Horseshoe. Um, and in places like the uh, south part of Johannesburg, huge, huge quantities of gold and, and uh, silver and water came up, of course, and formed into a massive lake. Uh, now, this lake, had we kept it, um, we might have had pleasure boating on it today, but I think it was a rather terrible lake because it was bringing up sulfurs uh, from deep in the ground, and we probably uh, was a light sulfuric acid. And this was nothing to do with the great uh, crater that was formed by the the um, asteroid that hit where the dome now is? No, that would come a, a couple of centuries later. What was happening here is that we would have periodic um, dry periods and periodic wet periods, and so this would form into layers. We would have layers, first of all, with water, stones washing into it, crushing the gold into very, very fine powder, and drifting out into fans, uh, not all over, but in places like Johannesburg, uh, Rudipurt, Krugersdorp, out into the Free State. These things would fan out, um, and very, very rich in gold indeed. Then, as you say, um, along many, many years later, came this great asteroid. Um, it may have been, in fact, an ice asteroid, uh, about the size of Table Mountain, and the timing of it was fantastic because a minute earlier it might have gone into the Indian Ocean, and a minute later it might have gone into the Atlantic, but it hit square into the middle of this great lake, this this wonderful uh, system of of uh, gold that we had coming out here, and the impact um, was something that we can't even begin to understand. The impact must have been like a thousand atomic bombs. It may have been enough to give the world the tip off its axis that we know today. Certainly it came in at a slight angle, probably from the south, uh, because the greatest disturbances are towards Krugersdorp and Randfontein. That's an amazing story. And perhaps it was to do with the damnation of Faust, which is coming up next. This is the Hungarian March by Hector Berlioz. That was the Hungarian March by Hector Berlioz from the damnation of Faust. It was played by the Philharmonia Orchestra under Ephraim Kurtz, and is the choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note, and he's had a varied career, flying, working at the SAA, and then as a TV cameraman, but his great interest in life has become gold and the history of gold mining in South Africa. And let's just talk about that history a bit, because gold was mined here, or found, uh, long before it was found on the Witwatersrand by, let's say, Mapungubwe or places like that, Tulamela, where they were working gold quite early on. Indeed they were. Um, we have a beautiful um, example of a little uh, rhino now in the Pretoria uh, University um, that is covered in gold leaf. They didn't have the ability, the technical ability at that time, to smelt gold. But what they did was they hammered it out. 
So they hammered um, the little nuggets that they found in the rivers or that they dug out of the ground. And there's quite extensive mining in places like Zim. Um, and they covered these little statues with uh, gold leaf. And But there are other examples. They made beads as well, didn't they, which, are, which were found by the University of Pretoria at some stage on that site. Yes, there were a lot of gold objects. The, yeah. the beads were probably originally um, nuggets that had been hammered into round and then drilled. And this use of gold is quite interesting because from almost from day one, I suppose, people realized the value of this this uh, element that they found. Gold certainly goes way, way back into our, our, our primarial history. Um, used certainly for every continent, by every uh, civilization ever. Um, gold was passed down uh, from one to the other. The Egyptians, of course, made extensive use of gold um, in their burials. I suppose, for one thing, it was easy to work as a material. Yes, and it didn't rust, um, and it was easy to shape into coin. Well, and into objects of beauty. Absolutely. And so gold mining, of course, has been central to the history of South Africa because really that's what got South Africa onto its feet initially. Yes, certainly. Um, There's been search for wealth all over South Africa. Um, Strangely enough, the first wealth here uh, was the guano on the islands. Uh, People went guano mining because it turned out to be a nice uh, chemical to make gunpowder for their ships. Um, I thought it was used for compost. Well, gunpowder was a good one. <laughs> um, of course, um, other things, they, they searched in the early days for copper. And very, very early in the 1860s, they started to pick up diamonds in the what is now the Kimberley area. Well, and also, because very close to Cape Town, there's uh, still a place called Silver Mine. So they must have been looking for silver, too. They certainly looked for silver, even in Van Riebeck's time, although not great quantities of silver was ever found there. Yeah. Well, and in fact, the Cape in general was not very good for mining and minerals. No, it was far better at producing vegetables for passing ships. Much better. And passing ships brings us to our next piece, which is Stranger on the Shore. This is by Acker Bilk. That was Strangers on the Shore by Acker Bilk, the choice of Rod Kruger, my guest on People of Note. Rod, tell us a bit more about this great meteor or asteroid or whatever it was that hit at the dome. Okay, Um, there is unfortunately no dome left today. Um, It's weathered away long ago. But the impact of this thing, when it hit, as I say, it hit with a force of about a thousand atomic bombs. We're guessing here. But whatever it was, when it hit the ground, it plowed 44 kilometers into the ground, totally destroying itself in the process. There was great argument by a geologist afterwards as to whether it was a volcano or whether it had in fact been a uh, a meteor until the Witz University proved by finding uh, traces of meteoric dust that it was, in fact, an impact. It's the biggest impact in the world. There's one in uh, uh, the Americas, but we claim the bigger one. Um, but what it did when it hammered into the ground, it pushed the Great Lake, it pushed the gold layers down into the ground, in most places right down into about six kilometers at a 30-degree angle. So it hinged down from the start of the lake and pushed it down into a slope, a deep, deep slope, especially towards the Krugersdorp and Ranfantine sides, uh, which were massively displaced. Uh, by this thing. And so instead of being able to uh, mine the gold with the bulldozer on the surface today, and that is the reason that we have the deep level mining. Uh, And the gold, as far as we are led to believe, is running out now. Um, Not in fact. There's plenty of gold. They they estimate that there's still as much gold down there as there was when we started. The problem is the depth. Uh, Mining it below six kilometers is a massive, massive challenge to any company. Uh, until somebody comes up with really good robotic mining, may stay that way. 
Yeah, so, but our mining, uh, um, gold mining is certainly slowing down now. It's certainly slowing down. I was uh, um, a kid on the Vervadesrand when I watched the uh, gold fields reach their sort of major pot uh, potential. Um, and then I watched it die. And it's, it's a great sadness to me to see such a huge industry um, pass away. But it has contributed a lot to our success here in South Africa. And it, are we or were we the biggest gold producer in the world? We were at a time by far the biggest gold producer in the world. We outstripped Russia and the Americas and all the other countries in the world put together. Um, in gold production. The world at the time being on the gold standard, they were starting to run out of available gold actually to mint coin. Um, and when they looked around to find more, of course, we had just become um, available in the 1880s. Uh, so, of course, we were the major target for gold uh, in the world. And uh, many people from all over the world came flooding to South Africa to be part of this great gold rush. Well, it, it had to start somewhere. Now, as I mentioned earlier, it started with the two Strubens moving across the Vidvardeshond Hills and looking for gold. They first found what they thought was payable gold at the top of Krugersdorp, uh, mined down to about um, 30 meters, and then the gold pinched out. And this is true of every single mine shaft on the Vidvardeshond Ridge itself. The gold simply doesn't extend below 30 um, meters. But there was lots of it up to there. There was lots of it, um, but it had been hugely displaced, mostly by, by water action. The second one they found interesting, and this was, was, was a wonderful thing, was on the farm that they'd been asked to look at in the first place, which was Lohgeld and Hayes's farm at the time called Vilgespreit, now Little Falls, uh, Strubens Valley. And there they found uh, what they thought was the mother load. They thought that they had found um, the answer to their whole life, um, and they called this the confidence reef because they were confident they were going to get very rich very quick. Well, perhaps your next choice of music is very appropriate then. This is the Gold and Silver Waltz by Franz Leha the Johann Strauss Orchestra of Vienna, conducted by Willy Boskowski. That was the Gold and Silver Waltz by Franz Leha, played by the Johann Strauss Orchestra of Vienna under Willy Boskowski. You're listening to People of Note on Classic 1027 with me, Richard Koch, and my guest is Rod Kruger, who has a great interest in the gold mining industry and the history of gold in South Africa. You're listening to Classic 1027, the program is People of Note. I'm Richard Koch, and my guest is Rod Kruger. This program is broadcast every Sunday from 6 to 8, and in it we talk to someone who is a person of note. And Rod Kruger is my guest tonight, and he's an expert on gold and the history of gold mining in South Africa. And we were talking about the Struben family and their contribution to gold mining. Indeed, once um, Fred Steuben had begun to find what he considered to be payable gold, the entire Steuben family climbed into this thing. Um, his brother Harry came over to have a look and they purchased the eastern side of the farm and they began to mine into what they would then call the Confidence Reef, confident that they would get very rich very quickly. Um, they came to live on the farm. Um, his daughter Edith, the oldest girl at the time, came and looked after their children, his wife Mary being ill at the time in Peter Maritzburg. And there they set up um, home and they started, as I say, to mine. Harry ordered machinery from England. This was sent out from a company called Sandycroft. It arrived in Durban by the early steamship. And then Harry hauled it up here by Oxwagon. And uh, they set it up in the kloof, now called Constantia Kloof, above Strubens Valley. Um, but they soon found, and again, that the gold ran only to 30 meters down their mine. And that this was not going to be a payable proposition. In the meantime, however, two tramps had turned up. 
One of them um, called George Walker, the other one called George Harrison. They had been told by a shopkeeper down in Moldersdrift, and Moldersdrift also has a fantastic history, um, that the two Steubens were mining gold, and they were looking for work. So they turned off the track, and they came across to um, Volkerspreit, to Steubens Valley, and they came to look for work with uh, the Steuben brothers who were, who were busy working there. Um, the Steubens hired one of them. They hired George Walker to build a little cottage, the remains of which are still in the hills, but they only had enough uh, to employ one man. So they sent the other one off, and they had heard that down the road at a farm called Langlachter, there was a lady there, a widow, Oersthausen, um, who were looking for someone to build a house for her son. He was about to be married, and they wanted a second house on the farm. So off went um, George Harrison. Now, Harrison was a, a bricklayer. He was an Englishman and a bricklayer. Um, and he went there, and he got the job of building the little house for uh, Mrs. Oersthausen. In the construction of this house, one of the um, kids working with him hauling rock from a little quarry, said to him, Hey, Urm, does Houghton hear the clip? Uncle, there's gold in the rock that we're building this little house of. And there are about six different stories to this thing too, but I claim mine is correct. Um, and they started to go and see, now where were the labor digging the rock for this cottage out of? Walked across, and it was in walking distance, in long laughter. And they had a look to see, and they broke out some of this rock, went to Mrs. Oerstays in the kitchen, and a story has it that they borrowed her big iron frying pan, found a bolt in the backyard, broke up the rock, washed it, and they got the most terrific wash of gold that they had ever seen in a pan. By this stage, um, George Walker had finished building the little cottage for the Steubens, and he came across and helped um, to come and see if he could help them with the house, but um, instead of which he got it tied up in the story of the finding of this gold. And that was the beginning of the great gold rush here? Yeah. That was the beginning of the whole thing. What they had found was what would later be called the main reef. It was wonderfully rich. And they decided to go and ask the farmer if they could uh, work the gold there. And she very cleverly said, yes, you may, but I want 60 pounds for the, pr for the privilege. Now, 60 pounds to two tramps was outrageous money in a, in a country that was basically bankrupt. Well, we're going to hear the golden tango now. This is Annika de Villiers playing with Graham Leacox conducting. That was the golden tango by Annika de Villiers. Uh, Graham Lee Cox conducting the orchestra there. The choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note. And we're talking about the story of gold and the beginnings of Johannesburg. And that led them, they, once they'd found that reef, the main reef, that was the really the beginning of the whole story of gold in South Africa. Yes, certainly. Everybody in the time was in on search for uh, something of value, and certainly gold was the top of the list. Off went George uh, Walker back to Potchefstroom, where he had come from, to try and raise money from his associates there. Um, Harrison wrote to the government in the Transvaal at the time, to Paul Kruger, um, and told him what he had found. Now, the Transvaal government at the time happened to be bankrupt. Uh, I believe they were paying the postmaster with postage stamps. So uh, money was certainly an issue, um, and the government sent over two men to come and have a look, two of their inspectors, to come and have a look and see, indeed, what they had found. They came and they tested the gold, and then they followed the reef all the way along until they got to Rudipurt, finding that it continued as rich all the way. Um, they went back, of course, and reported on their find, and the government under Kruger, a couple of months later, gazetted that this was now to become an open gold field, which meant that anybody could come there and stake a claim. Um, they had to pay a 10 shilling uh, license fee, of which five shillings went to the farmer and five shillings went to the government, and then you could dig up whatever was on your little bit of ground. Um, 
And they really believed that this was just another one of these flash-in-the-pan things, that it would last 10 or 15 years, and then these men would dig it all out, and uh, their tin shanties would disappear, and they'd go back to being a farming community again. Was this pre- or post-Barberton? This was post-Barberton. Barberton had been the, the main incentive. People had been looking at Barberton, uh, and Barberton proved to be a problem because they um, formed a lot of companies there that went bankrupt. So by the time the main reef was found here on the Vitvardestrand, people were not really all that keen to buy shares anymore. However, um, it became of interest, of course, to the money people in Kimberley. As soon as, as, as you find anything of value, of course, the word spreads like wildfire. And the first person to hear anything down there was a man by the name of J.B. Robinson. Now, Robinson, apparently not a nice man, not a good uh, a person to associate with. He had been a storekeeper before, and he'd come diamond prospecting in Kimberley. He'd made himself a millionaire out of diamonds. And then in a, um, a financial war between two big men, he'd lost all his money. That, of course, was between Rhodes and Barney Bernardo, who were at that time fighting over the control of the Kimberley mine. The banks had foreclosed on everybody, um, and, Ro and Robinson had lost all his money. So Robinson went along to Rhodes' business partner, uh, Rudd, and he said to him, Mr. Rudd, I have lost all my money here, and I want to go up to the Vardashant where I hear they're finding gold and try again. Rudd being a nice man, and I think basically to get rid of Robinson, loaned him £20,000 on a handshake with a one-third, two-third share agreement. He must have thought that he was pouring his money into the toilet, but it was the best deal that Robinson and Rudd had ever made in their lives. Because it worked well for both of them. It worked incredibly well. Um, Robinson was on the first stagecoach up to Krugersdorp, and then from there he had to walk. Everybody had great walking abilities in those days. I think we've lost that. Um, and he went over to uh, have a look and see what they were finding. He knew nothing about it. He was not a miner. He was not a, an engineer. But he went to Mrs. Oerstation and he said, I will buy your farm for £6,000. Now, £6,000, when she was asking sixty before, was out of sight money. Well, they were certainly the golden years, and that's what we're going to hear now by Leroy Anderson, the BBC Concert Orchestra, under Leonard Slatkin. That piece was called The Golden Years by Leroy Anderson, the BBC Concert Orchestra, under the direction of Leonard Slatkin, the choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note. Rod, are they still discovering gold anywhere now in Africa? I mean, are there new gold mines being opened up? Well, the big one, and always has been the big one, is the one in the middle of the Congo. Um, there they had a volcanic pipe of gold. It, it, it could have been the Ophir that the Bible refers to. Um, is vast quantities of gold coming out of this place. It is very, very much um, locked up in security. Um, I believe it's double fenced off from the entire community, and anything that goes in and out is by air. Um, so certainly there, but the search goes on. Wherever. But if it's a volcanic pipe, presumably you've got to go quite deep then. They have indeed gone very, very deep with that one, and they're working by truck. So the trucks are going down something like a kilometre, round and round and round, on roads that they've built there. Oh, so it's an open cast mine? It's an mine. open cast mine, yeah. yes. Amazing. Well, I suppose a bit like the big hole in Kimberley. Except, exactly, except yeah. that there they were mining by uh, um, using cable hoists uh, and, and buckets, not by truck. Yeah. Amazing story, all this mining stuff. And yes. how many, you wonder how many people lost their lives in all this operation and falling earth. And I think in the early days it must have been terribly, terribly uh, expensive, uh, expensive in terms of and, life. Uh, yeah. Of taking of life, yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, in the, in the Steuben case, nobody ever got majorly hurt. Um, one of the operators did catch his hand in the stamp mill, and I believe he went septic, but they managed to sort him out. 
Uh, but that was a risk for all operators in there. A lot of people lost hands in machinery yeah. uh, working on the mines. Well, I must say, as, as an ex-student of the UCT College of Music, I'm very grateful to the Strubens for the house that they uh, produced in Cape Town. It was a very grand house, let me tell you, or still is a very grand house. Strubenheim is a wonderful house, and uh, if you can uh, visit it uh, just near the Baxter Theatre in Rosebank, it's quite something to see. It's, it must be about the size of Downton Abbey. Um, huge entrance hall. The, the entrance hall is big enough to hold music concerts in. Nine bedrooms upstairs, including a ladies' lounge. Downstairs we've got the um, lounges, dining rooms, uh, ballroom, uh, billiard room. Uh, nice lifestyle to have if you yeah, can afford it. It was certainly, and certainly for the four years that I was at UCT, I spent m most of my days in that very building. So little did I realize that one day I would sort of come full circle on people of note hearing about the connections to yes. the Strubens family. Yeah. And uh, mostly now our gold here, in the, the story of gold has come <coughs> full circle in Joburg also because the, the whole industry is slowing down here. But I guess the gold miners, the gold mining companies are now moving further afield. I know uh, Mali, uh, Anglo Gold have moved to Mali, Ashanti, those places in West Africa That's now. quite correct, so they have. Um, places like Brazil and so on. Um, but the gold is not finished here by any means, and we have, in fact, um, started mining again in the Rudiput area. Um, there's a company now that's come in, and they're opening up the old surface mines. Um, a lot of the surface gold was left behind uh, simply to, to as an act as a prop on the deep levels. Um, plenty of gold left in those, and that is what the um, Zamazamas are taking out, of course, the illegal miners. And that's a story all to itself, of course. But, well, uh, we'll deal with that now, but let's, let's just listen to the Hungarian dance number two by Johannes Brahms, the Budapest Festival Orchestra under Ivan Fischer. That was the Hungarian dance number two by Johannes Brahms, played by the Budapest Festival Orchestra under Ivan Fischer, the choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note. Let's just talk about Zama Zamas for a moment, because, I mean, this is a whole new area of mining, sort of uncontrolled in many ways. Well, absolutely uncontrolled. Yes. And dangerous. Absolutely. Oh, oh, terribly, terribly dangerous. And we have stories to tell about that one, um, which are absolutely horrific. Uh, people going underground and becoming lost in the old mine workings, of which there are more than 7,000 kilometers of tunnel left under the Vitvardesrond. Uh, so easy, easy to get lost. And most of it not being worked at the moment. Most of it is not being worked, no. So what they're doing is they're cutting out either the, the old surface reef um, or they're going down into the old workings and they're cutting out what they call the pillars. Now, the pillars were left by the old miners because they had no other way to support the roof. But take out four or five pillars and the roof comes down. Um, and you lose the miners around there, having taken out whatever gold you could recover, because, of course, the main reef goes right through the pillars. Um, then you hire a new bunch of guys and you move on to the next pillars. So it's a dirty game that they're playing with the with the Zama Zama. Yeah. And what about reworking the old uh, mine tailings? Because I notice some of the, the mine dumps are going slowly. The mine dumps are certainly going, and, and it's good and it's bad because we're kind of going to miss them. Um, what happened there was that the uh, original production um, of gold was very, very poor. And in the early days, up to 50% of the gold was lost and went into the mine dumps. Um, the stamp mill uh, working with the mercury process was a very poor recovery thing. Uh, later on, they would find that there's a better uh, system, and of course today they can recover 99.999% of gold and everything else in the rock. But uh, at the time, huge quantities of gold 
uh, went into the dumps. And you can actually pan it and see the gold. You can see it flickering in the sand. It's quite, quite something to see. So if you rework those dumps on a big scale, you can get quite a lot of gold. Which has been done already. Yes, it was going into Rand Central Refinery. Um, what they were doing was uh, turning the mine dumps into slurry with huge hose pipes and then pumping that slurry up to the uh, recovery centers. And they're, of course, processing it through huge tanks. Mintech in Randburg, very much involved in this, trying to sort out processing uh, for this gold. But the other thing, of course, is that that releases a whole lot of land, which is now extremely valuable. Uh, it is, but the land is very much poisoned by the, by the chemicals that they use. So industrial land, perhaps. Farmland, again, never. Um, and unfortunately, the chemicals are all flowing westwards, uh, down past Krugersdorp, and poisoning everything as they go. So not a good situation still. So that's, that's another subject we can talk about, which is this acid mine, what is it, acid mine it's water? Acid mine water, yes. The mines themselves still contain huge amounts of uh, the very, very old sulfates that I spoke about earlier. And mix those with water long enough and you get a very dilute sulfuric acid, which is, of course, now, um, as the mines are no longer pumped and, and safely cleaned, uh, the water is starting to leach, or leach out of these mines. And as I say, it's flowing slowly uh, westward. So are many of these old mines now flooded also? Many of them are flooded, yes. We're going to lose our, our prime tourist one one of these days. That's the one at Gold Reef City, number 14, Shaft on Crown Mines, uh, which is flooded now, I believe, almost up to two level. And that's where they're showing the tourists. So sooner or later, it'll be goodbye, I'm afraid. Gosh, so that'll be another bit of history gone west. But we're going to listen now to something by Richard Wagner. This is the overture to the Ring of the Nibelungen. That was the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra under Sir George Scholte performing the overture from the Ring of the Nibelungen by Richard Wagner. Part of the story told by Rod Kruger, not the Wagner story, but about the story of gold. And I guess the Ring of the Nibelungens was gold too. I guess. <laughs> it would have been fun to I see. I often wonder if the, the families that worked, you were talking about the Struman family and the George Harrison, I wonder if they ever made any gold objects for themselves. Uh, we know for certain that um, Harry Struman made a brooch for his wife, a very heavy gold and platinum brooch, um, which was too heavy to wear on modern clothing, unfortunately. It dragged the, the, the blouse down in front. And we've tried to track it. I've, I've followed it all the way down through their, uh, their various family members into England. And if ever this gets into England somewhere and somebody knows where the um, Struben brooch is, we'd love to know because we want a f at least a photograph of it. Well, you never know. There are many listeners to these programs and it can be heard all over the world. So someone may be listening who knows where the, the Struben brooch is. <laughs> it would be really, really great. Is it described anywhere? It is not, unfortunately. We just know that it was a Victorian brooch and very, very heavy. Um, the Struben brothers themselves, when they heard that there was gold found at Langlachte, went over and tried to buy the farm too. But they were one day too late. Unfortunately, it had already been bought out by Robinson. So what they did is they went and they took nine claims on the main reef on the eastern side of the farm. And there they started to put down tunnels and to work the gold to see, basically to test if the gold was there, which it was. They mined it until 1888. And then not being miners in heart, they sold the whole lot for 288,000 pounds, which would roughly translate, translate excuse me, to 288 million rands now. And off they went to Cape Town, very rich and happy uh, to go in retirement. Um, at first they bought a farmhouse, which didn't suit them. It was too wet and Harry had rheumatism. And then, of course, in 1902, they built that beautiful house, Strubenheim, that we're talking about. That's an amazing story. And all of it, of course, based on the city of Joburg, the city of gold, 
And I think people still imagine that there's a sort of El Dorado <laughs> in South Africa. You know, people come visiting here and they think, oh, the city of gold. But as you say now, some of these old mine shafts are filling up with water. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised to hear the one at, at uh, Gold Reef City. <laughs> I, I was expecting they might pump that out to, to keep it as a... I think, um, uh, I think the answer there is that it's just too big. Yeah. Um, 14 shaft was incredibly deep. It went twice sea level. Uh, it had two main shafts. You went down one shaft, got out, walked across, went down another shaft, and then still had a further incline shaft to reach the bottom of it, apparently taking about four hours to reach the bottom of the mine. So incredibly deep mine in its day. Yeah. And, and of course, there are still deep level mines, I guess, on the West Rand and in the Free State. On the West Rand, what is, became known as the West Witz Line, um, they followed the gold out that way. Uh, a wonderful story of a magnetometer that I'm not going to go into here. Uh, and then, of course, out into the Free State uh, in the 1930s under the Oppenheimers, uh, we were pioneers out there, and gold mining goes on today, yes. And I guess also uh, South Africa contributed a lot to the skills of deep level mining and how it had to be done. Most of the engineers in the early days came from the Americas. Uh, when they first looked at the main reef, they thought it was a river that had turned on its side. Uh, it took a while for them to discover that, in fact, it went down forever. Um, this was uh, soon found when they started to use the very first diamond drills, and they drilled behind um, the race course in Johannesburg, and down they went and they found the, the gold at 1,500 meters. Cheapest. Well, here comes Pops Mohammed and Cup of Joe, or Cup of Joburg. This is Morris Goldberg and Pops Mohammed. That was Pops Mohammed and Morris Goldberg performing music by Pops Mohammed called A Cup of Joburg. Now, we're coming towards the end of the program, and uh, I'm just looking at some of the photographs here that uh, my guest Rod Kruger has taken. That's me in a squatter camp. <laughs> <laughs> and I know that doesn't make very good radio, but uh, he's got this collection of photographs. Are you going to do something with all these old photographs you have? Uh, yes, indeed. Um, this particular book that you're looking at here, I use when I take people um, on walks, and we go and we have a look at these mines, which I hope you'll come and visit one day. Um, but I have a fantastic collection of, uh, of old photographs, uh, which I'm hoping to turn into um, not so much a history book, because there's a lot of books on the history of Johannesburg, but a uh, coffee table book with all these beautiful photographs and showing where the various people were and the gold came from. And if you take people down uh, to, to see what you've uh, uncovered here, do you, is there a website that they can go to? Or how do they get hold of you? Um, there was a website that was um, at Fitz University. I'm not quite sure if it still exists as such, uh, but they can certainly get hold of me if they uh, want to on 011-475-1782. And they're welcome to come on any of my walks. We have a walk every first Sunday of the month at 2 p.m. Um, at the uh, Klofendal, sorry, I went blank there for a second, Klofendal Nature Reserve. Um, so they're welcome to phone. Booking is, is necessary. Um, so it starts at Klofendal. It starts at Klofendal, yeah. yes. And the Struben Mine is the reason that Klofendal exists. Uh, when they were going to build towns there, the Rudipurt ladies, bless them, uh, socks from the museum, uh, came and put up a big fight with the government at the time, and that is the reason that they proclaimed the park around the mine. Oh, so Clovendal is around a mine, because that's got other musical connections for me, because for years we did the Joburg Pops at Clovendal. That's right, in the amphitheatre. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's, it's wonderful, and I wish you would come back again. So is that also part of this historical area? Well, that is where the Steubens found their main load of gold, yes. Oh, amazing. Um, 
the name also comes from the Steubens, but it's been twisted a little bit because um, when um, Harry bought the farm, he called it Cliffendale. Never registered the name, but it lives on at Cliffendale. That's quite amazing. So, gosh, there are more connections than I thought Absolutely, in the story. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there you are. It's the you say the first Sunday of every month. First Sunday of every month. Yes. And you do a walking tour about the history of gold. We do a walking tour about the history of gold. It's pretty much what I've been saying to you here. Yeah. Yes. Uh, the walk takes about two hours, and it's a gentle walk. It's not. A, it's not a problem to people. So there's the number: o double one four seven five one seven eight two o double one four seven five one seven eight two. Rod Kruger is your man. He'll take you on a walk. Thank you very much. I also do uh, talks for the universities. I've done two for um, UJ. I've done one for Wits University. And people are welcome to ask. Um, for schools, we do not charge a fee. So, um, And corporate events too. I've spoken at corporate events where they've wanted to talk about money, which is what this is all about. So, uh, yeah, there we go. So, well, it's, not, it's more about the, the gold and the history of gold. I suppose in the end it's all about coin and money. It's all about greed, basically, yeah. and, and people wanting to get rich quick. <laughs> Which they did. Which they did, indeed. Many of them. Well, here's the Anvil Chorus. This is about working the gold, and this is from Il Trovatore by Giuseppe Verdi, the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra under Erich Kunzel. The Anvil Chorus from Il Trovatore by Giuseppe Verdi, the Cincinnati Pops Orchestra, conducted by Erich Kunzel. This is the choice of Rod Kruger, who's my guest in People of Note. That's a program you're listening to on Classic 1027. And we're coming very near the end of the program now. We've got one more piece of music. And, Rod, perhaps you can just tell us where you think this is all going now. Where are we going? Because gold is not what it used to be in terms of uh, money and so on. We use other metals now. Yes, it, it, uh, money has almost become digital, which I, I think is rather a sad thing. It was rather nice to hold a gold coin in your hand or jingle one in your pocket. But the intrinsic gold itself has not lost its value. Not at all, no. And in fact, I might get into trouble here because I'm going to tell you that I think there's still a lot of gold further back in Johannesburg than people realize. Um, when this great meteor hit, um, okay, it displaced the gold underground, but on the surface, um, it pushed huge quantities of land back to the north. That land is now the Witwatersrand Ridge that we have been sitting on. Um, that would explain why the gold only goes to 30 meters. It has taken the springs, the hot springs that I mentioned earlier, and sheared them off and pushed them back northwards. Um, I have had massive arguments with geologists over this one, and I'm going to have them again, but they, they've got to give me my, my, my say too. So it's just possible that we may find the remnants of the gold pipes where they used to be, that is just south of the main reef. Whether anyone is going to go exploring for these, I guess the ones under Johannesburg will have to remain under Johannesburg now because they kind of been built over. But it's just possible that at places like Langlachter and Rudipurt and Krugersdorp and so on, they may indeed, if they explore uh, slightly north of the main reef, discover one of these pipes one day. And if they do, I'd like an apology from a whole bunch of geologists out there. Well, maybe you'll get it or maybe you'll get some of the gold. Who knows? I've been talking to Rod Kruger in People of Note about the history of gold and gold mining in South Africa. And perhaps the final choice is roll over Beethoven. Maybe it's roll over the reef and then you'll find it. Chuck Berry is performing. That was <coughs> Roll Over Beethoven by Chuck Berry. And Chuck Berry was on vocals and guitar. And it just remains for me to say thank you to Rod Kruger for coming into the studio. And thank you at home for listening. And thank you to Gareth Cherry for helping us put this whole program together. 
You've been listening to People of Note on Classic 1027. Thank you, Rod. Thank you indeed, Richard. It's been an absolute joy. It's been uh, a great being pleasure. With you here today. Thank you so much. And thank you at home, of course, for listening to the program. Until next time, from all of us here at Classic 1027, we wish you a very good night.